Packers Canine Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 174 of the Protection Dog Podcast, where we offer an alternative to conventional training methods and philosophy. I'm your host, Joel Riles, and today is December 7th, 2023. Holy crap, Christmas is only a couple of weeks away. If you are not building the life you want, what are you doing? Time is tick, tick, ticking away for us all. It's time to get busy. Tonight we are streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you are the camera is pointed at my computer screen because I can't do interviews uh, on Instagram via the StreamYard app quite yet, or at least if I can, I'm not aware of it. So for these interview podcasts, I just turn my camera around and point it at my screen. So that's what you guys are seeing today. And we are going to be talking with Pat Watson of Uncensored Tactical and Canine Philosophy. And we're going to talk a little bit about dogs, and then we will probably get into some uh, covert entry stuff and what he has going on this year. So we will jump into that in just one second. Wanted to welcome everyone who's coming onto the live stream. We always appreciate having you guys here. Don't forget to click that like and subscribe button so that other people see that we are here. And if you're watching this after the fact, please do the same thing and welcome. We hope you enjoy what we're about to go over tonight. Tonight, I am drinking my Jim Beam Black. And I will be enjoying a cigar as soon as we wrap up. Real quick, let's talk about tonight's sponsor. Tonight's sponsor is Fortress K9. Fortress K9 is building your fortress. We have personal, family, and executive protection dogs available. What do we do that's different than everyone else? First, our dogs do not bite and hold. Uh, if you have a dog that bites and holds, it is easy to kill. It can be stabbed. It can be shot because it bites and then it doesn't move after that. Our dogs reverse, retarget encounter being attacked by the person that they're defending you against. What else do we do? Our dogs are safe around your pets, your children, your friends. We do something we call stability with our dogs, which is you only bite when I tell you to bite or if someone attacks me. Other than that, you do not bite. And uh, so if you are interested in finding out more about our dogs, you can visit our website, FortressK9.com. That is F-O-R-T. R-E-S-S, the letter K, the number nine.com. You can send me an email, Joel, J-O-E-L, at FortressK9.com. You can text me. Remember, do not call me, but you can text me. We will make a time for a phone call if we need to. My number is 813-836-9244. You can also check us out on Facebook at Fortress K9 Kennels, on Instagram at Fortress K9, and the same thing on YouTube is also at Fortress K9. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and jump into Pat. And Pat, welcome to the Protection Dog Podcast. Oh, I think we, you're muted. We can see you, but we can't hear you. I am oh. unmuted now. There we go. Hey, welcome, Pat. Good to have you tonight. Hello, Arrow says hi, too. So you had mentioned wanting to chat a little bit about using e-collars and uh, some of the questions that we might have surrounding that. So uh, what did you want to chat about tonight? Sure. Uh, I thought that we would attack it maybe two-pronged. And let me know, um, just with a nod here, if you can hear me and if the quality is coming through. 
So I thought we yep. would do this two-pronged, which would be, one, what does anybody know want to know before they buy a shock collar for their dog? So general dog owner, hunting dog owner, tactical dog owner. And then two would be specifically for us. So I'm switching. I did prong only for all the dogs I've trained. So the prong and flat collar system. And now, just because of the reach, and we're, we've been on a lot of homesteads, and I think it's much nicer to have that recall and the ability to tighten those boundaries at a distance and fast instead of waiting to go get the dog, waiting to correct the dog, waiting to recreate the condition. So two approaches. One, general info, and two, info for us switching from prong to shock collar. All right. Well, um, I'll start kind of uh, giving some information. And then if you have any questions or anything jumps up in between that, uh, feel free to stop me and, and ask for clarification or anything. Also, just want to let everybody know, me and Pat basically just said, hey, let's get on tonight and talk about this topic. And so this is largely just an unscripted conversation that we're going to be going through. And uh, so that's what we're doing tonight. And you guys get to join us. So for the average person looking to um, try and decide what kind of correction collar they want, I recommend using an e-collar in certain situations. So I prefer the prong as a general rule. I think that you can do almost everything with a prong, at least in the things that we train our dogs to do, um, without needing an a e-collar, right? There are a few situations where e-collars, though, are convenient or beneficial, and so one of those would be if you are a small person, especially a small female who has a large or a very strong or powerful dog that you, you're giving them a correction with the prong and they're just like, yeah, whatever. That didn't mean anything to me. Um, then in those situations, it can be very beneficial to use an e-collar. Now, we did recently discover there is an e-collar available that uses lead direction. So it uses tension on the lead to activate the e-collar. So it's not a remote control. And, um, and so in those situations, that's the particular e-collar that I recommend. Um, another time that is a good time to use an e-collar if, is if you're strictly trying to get rid of a negative behavior. So uh, one of my clients, my first clients that I recommended using an e-collar to, their dog, when they would put them in the backyard, loved to run up and pounce on the sliding glass door, right? And so that was obviously annoying and also potentially dangerous depending on how hard. It was a fairly large dog. So depending on how hard he hit that door, there was the potential that he could break the glass. And uh, so we put an e-collar on the dog and then we would give the dog a correction anytime it pounced on the sliding glass. Now, a couple of major errors that people will make with e-collars, and it's easy to make these if you don't know what you're doing. I'll hear comments like this. When I put the e-collar on my dog, she's perfect and does everything she's supposed to. And then the minute I take it off, she runs around like a crazy dog. And the reason they do that is because you have trained the dog that when they're wearing an e-collar, they can be shocked by the e-collar. And when they're not wearing it, immediately that goes away. And the re way you trained your dog to do that was you put the e-collar on and started using it right away. And then when you were done, you took it right off. Right. And so what we recommend is if you're going to use an e-collar, you put the e-collar on the dog and you don't do anything with it for at least a week. Two is even better. And so the dog's just wearing this extra collar. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changed. Everything's the same as normal other than they just have an extra collar on, right? And you might need to take a collar off or whatever if their necks are short to fit all these. But a normal size dog that we have, you know, the, the medium 65 to 75 pound dogs, they can fit all three collars on their neck just fine. And so you put the collar on, leave it on for a couple weeks, uh, at least one week. And then you start to train with it. And I like to start to train up close 
and I just use my normal. Now, this is assuming you want to be associated with the corrections, right? So when we're doing negative things like fixing the sliding glass door banging or digging or doing things they're not supposed to, going around chickens when they shouldn't, stuff like that, I don't want to be associated with that correction at all. I want the dog to think, those are electric chickens. Leave them alone. I want the dog to think, when I touch that sliding glass door, it shocks you. Don't touch it anymore, right? I don't want them to associate me being there with the behavior or the behavior modification. So I ignore the dog. I don't react. I only hit the button on the remote when they do the negative behavior, right? So I want to disassociate myself in those situations where it's only fixing a negative behavior. When it's, I want my dog to respond to me at a distance or with other certain situations that you may need this. And I do want to associate myself with the correction. Then I typically start up close and I'll do things like seats. But then instead of a pop on the correction collar, if they don't seats quick enough, I give them a light correction on the e-collar. Now in these situations, you're using the lightest correction that gets the desired result. When I'm fixing a negative behavior, I dial it up to like two thirds of the maximum power right off the bat. So I want them to go, holy crap, chickens are scary. They shock the crap out of you when you touch them. Don't go near chickens. But when I'm associating myself with it, if I would give a light correction, then I want it to be a light E correction as well. So I'm not going to take a dog and I go sit and they don't sit and I just smash them as hard as I can. I'm going to give a light correction for that, right? It's going to be for we had sit. And so I want the e-collar to be in line with the level of correction I would give. And I start up close and I'll do something like seats, pow, fooey seats, good seats, plutz, pow, fooey plutz, right? And my fooey and my pow are at the same time. Just like my correction, it would be fooey that with a pop. It would be fooey that with the button and then praise. Now, the first couple of times you do this, a lot of times they're going like, oh, what the heck's going on? Right? They're kind of looking, almost trying to look at their neck. Like, where's that, where's that coming from? I don't normally feel that. And so when they do the command I am wanting them to do, I'm also giving them a lot of praise. So that's why I want to be kind of close because I want them to associate, oh, the fooey, it can also do this to me. It's new, but this is a thing that can happen when they fooey me. So it's not just a prong correction. I can also sometimes get this new, new sensation that I'm getting from this e-collar, right? And then now they're associating that pop from the e-collar with my voice and my commands. And so I'll work them this way until they respond to it. And then once they start responding to it up close, then I'll start pushing that distance out. So maybe I'm doing a long down stay and I tell my dog to wait and I start walking and let's say I get a hundred yards away from my dog and then they break. I can pow, fooey that, get back to your place, right? And they're getting the correction, but I'm not having to be right there. Now, if you haven't done these kind of drills, sometimes you have to show them what going back to their place means. So even with an e-collar, you might initially have to go back and put the dog in their place, be like, good place, and let them know, like, if you get out of place, I don't want you to just lay down. I want you to actually go back to where you were. Now, a good exercise for that would be do short place drills. So what we do for this is we either use a bucket or a table. Tables are a little easier because if your dog struggles getting on a bucket, the table's easy for them to jump on, right? And I'll put them on the table and I'll go, good place, good plutz at a girl, wait. And then I'll walk like 10 feet away and I'll go, let's go. And when they come, I go, good, go. And then I go, go back to your place. And I point to the table, right? Now, the first couple of times I do this, they might be like, huh? Like we're not inside because a lot of dogs associate place with being inside. And so when I say good play or go to your place, I'll walk them up to the table and hop them up and I'll go, good place, plutz. 
right? And so, and I'll work that distance a little farther, a little farther so that they understand when I say place, I mean where you were, right? And so then at a distance, I can start going, get to your place. And if they just lay down, I can go, fooey that place. And now they at least have had the introduction to what I mean when I say place. Place doesn't mean just lay down here because you broke and moved, right? Place means go back to where you were and lay back down there. And um, and so sometimes you still do these intros up close that then gives you the ability to correct at a distance. And um, and so that would be an example of how I would introduce the e-collar up close and then I can use it at a distance. So is there any other like specific training and specific uh, applications that you're interested in? Uh, that's no, that's perfect. And I expected a lot of that. Um, I just wanted some of the nuance. Um, I, I knew that you mentioned there's times you do and don't want yourself associated with that correction. And I thought, Oh, that's good. I also have, um, I got a Garmin that machete James, uh, recommended uh, this yep. little green guy here. And it's, it's worked great so far. Um, but I was thinking, uh, some questions I would have specifically for us and for arrow, since she's, we're very much in the fortress canine program. I thought, well, do I do, and especially when it comes to tactics, should it be a vibration precedes a correction? Okay, so start with vibrate and then have her seats. So the fooey that will be with a vibrate. Okay, that makes sense. But does a beep mean recall to me? But should a vibrate also be a quiet way to recall to me? And then how do I do vibrate as a fooey and vibrate as a recall? And I'm like, uh, let's just call Joel. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, I'm sure so there are things I can do that are not wrong, but things that would make the most sense to start with, I thought. Yeah, so your particular e-collar has a beep option, a vibrate option, and then you can dial up and down the, the e-shock, right? Yeah. So what I would do is I would pick. So there's not a right or wrong in terms of whether to use the beep or the vibrate, but obviously the beep is going to make noise. So if you want the vibrate to mean recall, then what I would do for that is I start up close again, and I go, let's go, and I hold the vibrate down the whole time they're coming, which in the beginning, what you're going to see them do is it's not going to be hurting them, but it's going to feel weird. Right. So they'll be coming, but they'll also be like, what, what's going on? Right. And I go, good, go, good, go, good, go. And I kind of hold the vibrate down for until they get there. So this is only like say a 10 foot recall, right? It's a short recall. And then, and then as soon as they get to me, I stop and I praise them. Good, go, good, go, good, go. And I'll do this. So I'll, I'll do it like five or six times. Right. And then I'll vibrate without saying anything and I'll see if they come. If they don't immediately start to come, I go, let's go, let's go. And then once they're responding to the vibrate where I buzz and they start running to me, then you don't have to hold it down, right? Then it's just a buzz for like say two or three seconds and then you let it go. And then in the beginning, whenever I have the time and opportunity as a reinforcement for this, I praise while they're coming in. But once your dog has a solid recall, you don't really have to keep yelling, good go, good go the whole time. Once they know, oh, that means come to you, as soon as they get permission, it's more of the, the discipline isn't in the recall really once the dog really wants to come to you. The discipline is in the waiting until they're told they can recall, right? So if the vibration <laughs> just becomes a release from the position to run to me as fast as you can. And um, so this is also how I do uh, training communications on radios right, is I'll have the radio on the dog, whether it's in a headset or whether it's just on a collar or on a vest. And I'll be close enough that they can hear my voice, but also where they can hear the radio at the same time. 
and I'll do like a recall. Let's go, let's go. Good, go, good, go. But I'm I'm talking where they can hear me, but I'm talking kind of quietly into the mic on the radio, right? So the radio's louder than my voice is. And then I'll keep creating distance as I do that until the only thing they can hear is the radio. And because what will happen if you your voice sounds different on a radio than it does in real life, right? So the first time you key up a mic and talk to your dog, they're like, who the heck is that? And they like kind of look back at wherever the radio sound is coming from, right? And they're like, who is this talking to me? Well, if you start close where they're hearing your voice and the radio simultaneously, as you create distance and you get quieter and the radio takes up more of the volume, they they will just start to naturally associate, oh, that's my person over whatever this thing is. They just sound a little wonky when when this happens. Um, so I do the same thing with the, the vibrate or the beep on the e-collar is I start close enough that I associate my command with the sensation. And then I start to, to back away from the vocal and only use the sensation. When you did hand and arm signals with the dog, you probably did the same process, right? So we go seats, yep. good seats, seats, good seats, seats, good seats. And then at some point we go, and if they don't seats, we go, for you, that seats, good seats, right? And then they start going, oh, like if you do that without saying anything, that still means seats. So it's, oh, when the vibration happens without you calling me, that still means let's go. And so the same technique that you use to transition away from your vocals into the hand and arm signals, you'll use for the sensations they're getting from the e-caller. Um, and then I would use, personally, if you wanted a quiet recall, I'd use the vibrate for that. Because it does technically make a little noise, but it's really quiet. I mean, it's not obvious. You're not going to hear it unless you're right next to the dog. And then the beep, you can use as a correction. And so, again, I would do the same thing. I would go fooey that with a beep. And then if they didn't respond after the first beep, then I would go to the pop. And so my first fooey would be a beep, fooey that with the beep, and then, you know, repeat the command, right? And then if they need a second correction, the second correction becomes the pop on the e-collar. And so the, it's kind of like a warning. So the, the bark collars work the same way. So if you get the bark collars that we use anyway, this I think they're called pet safe bark collars. They have a little, a, they have three little prongs on them. The two on the outside are the E correction portions. And then there's a little post in the center that detects vibration against their vocal cords. And so when they bark, the first bark, the first time it senses a, a vibration, it beeps. And it's kind of a quiet, high pitched beep. But when you test the battery on them, you rub it along a desk or something and you hold it up to your ear and you hear it going. And so that's the first warning they get is that little beep. And then if they bark a second time, they get a low level shock. If they bark a third time, it goes up a step and it keeps going up like six levels. And then when they don't bark for like 15 seconds, it resets back to the beep. And so you can use the beep verbally, fooey that with the beep. And then, it, you know, say, let's say it's plus and you go. Plutz, fooey it plutz. The second time I go fooey it plutz, if they didn't plutz, I hit the the E stem and I give them an actual little shock. Makes sense? So I, I can step that in with the beep first because it's different buttons for each one, right? And this is one of the, I won't call it a problem, but it, it's a different skill set that you develop using an E collar versus a correction, you know, a prong, a correction collar with a prong is you have to learn to run your your mic, your uh, remote, right? So you have to learn where the buttons are because you don't always want to be looking at it, trying to figure out where's the vibrate button again and where's the beat button and where's the this button. So you get used to, it's almost like getting used to a controller in a video game. You get used to where the buttons are 
and then you just hold the remote in that way where maybe like my middle finger is on the vibrate, my pointer finger is on the E stem and my thumbs on the beep. And when they do this, I hit my thumb. When they do this, I use my middle finger, that sort of thing. And, um, and so it becomes a, a different artwork running your, your remote on your e-collar and like hunters, they typically will run, um, I think, uh, Garmin purchased the old Tritronics version of the collars and they can run like nine different collars on one remote. And so there'll be like three buttons and each one will have three different color rings around it. And then there's a one, two, three switch on the side. And so uh, I don't know if it's inside to outside, but like one is all the inside colors, two is the middle colors, and three is the outside colors. And then they, the dogs wear collars that connect to the rings on the collar itself, or on the remote. And so they, they have to learn to dial up and down and which button to hit when they're – so mostly what they use the e-collar for is if they're supposed to be running rabbits and they're on a trail and they see one of their dogs chasing a deer across the trail instead of rabbits, they shock the dog until it stops chasing the deer. Right. It's like, no, we don't chase deers. We chase rabbits. And then when they see them chasing the rabbits, there's no correction at all. And uh, so that's one of the ways that hunters will use the e-collar. And uh, so does that make sense? Any questions from that so far? Perfect. Uh, and what I would add to the general practitioner who's not involved with dog training that picks up, whether it's a shock collar or a prong collar or anything, uh, would be to understand at least one layer deeper in your training system. It's not just I'm frustrated because my dog's doing this thing. Let me punish them. And hopefully that will fix it. It's a, it's gotta be a spectrum layered approach. You have to understand praise and punishment. You have to understand timing. Um, you need a, a little bit of a foundation for any of your training to be effective. Um, yeah. so my recommendation to others would be do a little bit more research than just breaking the ice. Yeah. And when you mention frustration, that's a lot of people do. All they want their dog to do is stop doing something that frustrates them. Right. And so the only time they're quote unquote training is when they're frustrated. And that's the worst time to train your dog. And even when we're teaching our dogs to do things, I tell my trainers, if you start to get frustrated, put the dog away, go take a break, come back and work the dog. When there's certain things that when you're training that dogs are just going to do. Right. I say when we're when we're introducing our dogs to longer downstays, guess what? The dog's going to break. They're going to do it They're, Even when you have a solid down stay within, say, a 50 yard period, you go 200 yards away. That's a lot more stress on the dog. Or you walk into your house and are gone for 30 minutes. That's a lot more stress on the dog to just stay there in their place for 30 minutes while you're out of sight. And so there's always kind of a limit to where they'll break. And as you're starting to really extend your distance out, we used to do one mile long downstays. Well, guess what that means? You have to walk out a mile with your dog. And we would usually set up like binoculars on a tripod so we could see the dog when we got back. And we would usually have a guy that stayed with the binoculars and radio so we could talk back and forth. And you walk one mile out and you put your dog in their position. And then what usually happens is you get about a quarter mile back and you hear the person on the binoculars go, dog's up. And then you hear jingle, jingle, jingle from the lead that they're pulling. And you get the dog and you go fooey that and you walk a quarter mile back and you put them back in their place. You go wait and you get about halfway back and you hear dogs up and then jingle, jingle, jingle. You get the dog, correct them, put them back. And so what I tell people is just expect on long down stay days, you're going to get a lot of steps in. You're getting your exercise today. And if you go into it with the mentality that I'm doing a lot of walking today, 
then you don't get frustrated when the dog breaks, right? If you if you go into it, my dog's going to get this really quick and they're going to be doing awesome in five minutes. And then you have to walk back and forth for 30 minutes straight. It's pretty easy to get really frustrated, but you lose a lot of your training benefit when you're frustrated, when you stay calm and stay relaxed and don't yell at the dog. Like your correction is enough. Your verbal should stay relatively constant unless it's something that deserves being chastised, like aggression when they're not supposed to be aggressive, right? Then they get yelled at. But in normal obedience training, our vocal should stay pretty constant and the correction is what adjusts. So it might be a light little bump the first time and then a harder bump the second time and then a bigger bump the third time if they're still just refusing to do it. Um, Make sure your dog understands what the command means before you start increasing the corrections like that. But as you're going through that, my vocal should stay pretty consistent. Same thing when you're working with the e-collar is the, the one of the great things about doing that is then you never have to raise your voice. You may have to project your voice if your dog's far away and they don't have a radio or something to communicate with so that they can hear you. But you shouldn't have to yell. You shouldn't have to be you have like a frustrated tone to your voice for them to obey. They should just hear your voice and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then they just do it. And if they don't do it, they get a pop. And that pop can be with a prong or an e-collar. Yep. The, the reason, so if you, if you develop skill with your remote, the e-collar can be just as or more effective than the prong. The, re, the main reason I discourage the e-collar, especially for beginner people training, is the prong collar really, really helps you get your timing down. So you'll figure out how quickly do I need to correct the dog when they do this thing? When should I wait and not correct them and give them a chance to do it? All of these sorts of things. And a lot of that is, is reading the dog and you're learning your timing. The, the thing that happens with e-collars frequently is people correct way too hard, way too fast. And then the dog ends up <laughs> anxiety driven all the time going, holy crap, I'm going to get shocked anytime. I, and, and the other thing that they're not doing is they're not communicating well enough that the dog associates properly what each thing means. And so they end up just getting shocked all the time. And they're like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, so even if you're going to use any color, if you do like you did and start with the prong, they learn all the commands. And so you can have confidence. They know what I'm telling them to do. And they're just not doing it because they think I'm away over here. You can't correct me. Oh, well, now I can. And so making that transition can be more beneficial. And then the only skill you have to learn now because you've developed your timing and you've developed your communication is managing the remote and managing the buttons and what they do and making sure you're not going too high or too low. Yeah, I think I have a solid toolbox. I had no um, concern about that. I just uh, wanted some extra nuance. Um, another reason I didn't want to go straight to the shock collar right away was I know that a lot of people in the dog world once they hear about training or see active training and they go, or they take that first leap to get involved in dog training, they go, how do I make my dog obedient off lead? And a lot of people right. think that that shock collar is the answer, but they also, right. I think their priorities are mixed up where that you have to understand a foundation of training and can you make your dog obedient on lead? Well, if you can't do that, why are you concerned with off lead already? So right. I would, I, I've heard you say before, master one, then transition into the other. Yep. Yeah, it's it's like learning to shoot or learning to ride a bike or anything else. If you want to be an awesome mountain biker, you have to learn to ride a bike on a street in a straight line first. 
and then make a basic turn. And then if you're doing any kind of race bikes, whether it's mountain bikes or road bikes, you have clip in pedals. So you have to learn how to get into the pedals and get out of the pedals. First time I got into the pedals, I was like, woo. And then I was like, came to a stop and I'm like, I can't get out. And I fell over, right? You have to learn how to get out of the pedals and all of those little basic things you have to do before you go and do the awesome mountain bike stuff. And the off lead is kind of like, that's the awesome mountain bike stuff. But if you don't learn how to ride in a straight line and not fall over and make a turn and get in and out of the pedals, then you don't have any business jumping into a mountain bike race and trying to go do technical stuff. You need to learn the basics first. Well, the on lead obedience is the basics. And if you're not patient enough to do that, then you really don't deserve the off lead obedience because you need that foundation to understand what you're doing. And also while you're getting your foundation, the dog is getting its foundation. It's learning what sit means and what lay down means and what weight means and what come means and whatever command you're using for each of those things. The dog is learning those as they go. And then you're also developing your skill in communication because where most people struggle with their dogs is not that the dog is per se disobedient. It's that they're undisciplined. The, the person is undisciplined. So therefore their dog is undisciplined and they, they're crappy at communicating. They don't clearly communicate to the dog what they want them to do. And so half the time the dog's like, what, what is that you want me to do? And then the person is yelling at him or, or correcting him when the dog's still like, I don't even get what you're trying to tell me to do. Now they might understand after you yank them up onto a table or something, but if you haven't taught them up to jump up on something and then you're yelling at them for not doing it, or if they're young and they can just barely make the table, but you have them in an awkward position and from that position, they can't jump on the table. They need to step away and then kind of have a running jump to the table, right? And you put them in these weird positions because you're, you just are inexperienced. Then until you figure that out with a lead, you don't have any business trying to do it without a lead. And um, so the e-collar can, you, you can, I'll put it this way. It's really hard to really mess up a dog with a prong. It's really easy to really mess up a dog with an e-collar. And if you really screw up a dog with an e-collar, especially a younger dog, you ain't ever getting that back. That's their foundation. And so if you mess up a little bit with a prong, well, that's pretty easy to overcome most of the time. You mess up with an e-collar and that dog's probably going to be messed up the rest of its life. And so getting that foundation on lead with something like a prong collar before you try and jump into an e-collar, which is much more complicated to use. It's way more simple to have a prong and a lead. And um, so if you get your foundations, then transitioning to the other is pretty easy. If you try and start with the advanced stuff, it's like trying to, you know, fly a, a drone with no sensors through the woods, you know, a half mile away, and you're going to crash that thing every time. But if you learn to dry, fly the drone with the sensors in a field, well, then you can get used to your remotes and how everything works. And then you can develop to the more advanced stuff later. And just like any tool, I think certainly there's there's benefits that the shock collar has that a prong doesn't. Uh, for instance, the distance. Yep. Um, and I know yep. how to get a lot out of a long line too. And those are uh, for anyone that's that's dipped their toes in dog training and only used a short lead. Those fifteen foot, thirty foot leads are awesome to start working into your training program, especially for things like recalls and distance training. Um, yep. But yeah, distance and timing are things that I, I have struggled with to, to maintain those larger boundaries. Um, but a big benefit that a lead has that a shock collar does not is your instant sensitivity. So if I have mm -hmm. a lead in my hand, I can 
I can coach a dog in a position. And I don't know right. how much coaching you can do with a shock collar. Pro pro probably zero. So I can direct yeah, the only them thing to where you're I want to go very. Gestures. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm using a prong not to correct, but to coach a dog in a position or to communicate with right. them what I, what I would like them to do nicely. You can't yep. nicely shock a dog and go, I would nicely like you to go up. Um, right. So you lose the sensitivity of how much too, because those repeat corrections of, nope, fooey that, nope, fooey that, nope, I said fooey that, knock it off. Right. So that those mm -hmm. raising levels are very easy to do very quickly with a lead and yep. very difficult to do the, the perfect amount at the perfect timing with a shot caller. And it, that's without having spent a lot of time on it. That's very clearly apparent of some pros and cons to consider. Yep. Yep. And, and we actually call the coaching you were describing lead direction. And so one of the, just because a dog has a prong collar on, if there's a little bit of tension on it, that's not a correction. In fact, once dogs get used to wearing the prong, they'll pull in a prong if you don't correct them for doing yes. so. And so, and when they pull, they'll pull pretty hard. And they're obviously not looking at that like a correction because they don't care. They're the ones doing it and they know they're the ones doing it. Right. So like you said, we can, if, if my dog is on the ground, I can direct up or if they're, I want them to cross a beam, I can gently bump down the beam and, and then praise them as they start to move in that direction. And there's no correction associated with that. It's like reins on a horse, right? It's like one day I want to see somebody train a horse with an e-collar. It's like, gallop whack with the shock on the collar and see what happens i bet that horse is going to buck him off but that'd be awesome to watch i want to see it but uh but notice nobody does that right people don't train their horses with an e-collar because they don't want to get the crap kicked out of them or get bucked off but the um the reins are what give them the control over the dog so when the dog is close your lead is way more effective at communicating than your verbals. Our verbals are really bad. We're, what the dogs actually pick up on most is our gestures, our body language. And so at a distance, you can sometimes get some of that, but it really depends on how far away the dog is. So when I train my dogs for hand and arm signals, their, their recall hand and arm signal is a pat to the chest like this. But at a half a mile away, that dog can't see that, right? So what I started doing and depending on your situation, this may not be feasible in a tactical situation is I would hold my arm up to the side and then bring it down and hold it up and bring it down. So it was a motion that was big enough that the dog could see it at a distance and recognize, oh, that means I'm being recalled because just bringing your hand up to your chest and patting it, they can see at a hundred yards, but they can't see that at a quarter mile, right? Or farther and, or they can't see it if they're out of sight. Right. And so then you either have radio or yelling or walking around to where they can see you. So all of those things, there's, there's benefits and limitations to everything that you do. But it's good to understand those and just not just go, oh, I'm just going to use the e-collar for everything because there's a lot of things the e-collar is crappy at. It's really, really good at stopping negative behaviors. It's also pretty good at doing stuff at a distance if you taught your dog to do it up close. Right. So it's just all it should do is keep you from having to walk down and correct the dog and walk back. If your, your dog should already know the thing well enough that you can communicate to it by vocals at that distance. And then it's just giving you the ability to correct if the dog's like, nah, you're too far away. You can't do anything. 
And, and it's kind of like, oh, yes, I can. Watch this, pal. And then they go, oh, you can correct me even that far away. Okay, I'll listen to you when I'm this far away too. And um, and just like with a prong, once you give them a couple corrections and they realize you can correct at that distance, they really shouldn't need much of it anymore. Um, so that's a good thing to keep in mind. And then the one thing I didn't mention is, so we talked about putting the e-collar on and wearing it for like at least a week, maybe two before you start to use it. I don't take it off. So I might get into the habit of taking it off when I put them in their crate so I can charge it at night and then it goes right back on first thing in the morning. But that's going to be an everyday thing. But then I don't take it off and, and I'm done with it until I haven't needed it for at least a month. And so that way it's not like on, you get shocked off. No more shocking. It's it's on and nothing happened. And then one day with no different change at all, I suddenly started getting shocked for things. And now I'm good and I do whatever my person says without needing to be shocked. And I've been so good for a month that I don't know why I took that one color off that obviously doesn't do anything. And uh, so that way you disassociate the e-collar with the shocks that they're getting. Um, Cause I can't tell you how many people are like, well, I mean, if I leave the e-collar on them, they do just what I tell them to. But if I take it off, they don't do what I'm, you know, what I tell them to. And I'm like, well, first of all, why don't you just leave the e-collar on then? But secondly, is you've made that association by using it too quickly when you put it on and then stop using it too quickly when you didn't have the full obedience that you needed. Yeah. Um, book ending. And we, we tell our clients that about uh, separation anxiety with crates too. Yep. So instead of going, oh, poor, poor baby, I have to leave. I'm so sorry. Here's your treat. Get in the crate. Shut the door. Turn the lights off. Leave. Ah, my people are gone. And then coming home right. and going, oh, my poor baby, I'm home. I'm so sorry. And the dog goes, well, that must have, yeah, that whole thing sucked. And so we teach our clients going in the crate should be business as usual. They should be in it, yeah. in and out of it throughout the day. You should be able to send them to the crate, call them out of the crate. Um, and then bookending as in put them in the crate while you're getting ready to leave. And then yep. don't make a big deal about leaving, just leave. And then when you come back, don't run to the crate, but get back, take your keys out of your pocket, go to the kitchen, come back, yep. walk past the crate, walk past the crate again, and then let them out. And they realize, oh, so freaking out in the crate isn't going to help me. Got it. Right. Yep. And, and even in the mornings, if you're creating your dog at night, I get up and I make my coffee and I sit down and I drink my coffee. I do my morning Instagram posts. And then I take my dog out to use the bathroom. So I also don't want my dogs to think, oh, I hear movement in the house. That means I'm going to go to the bathroom because they will have triggers for needing to go to the bathroom. Just like if you're on a long road trip and you've been holding the bathroom for a while and then you go to veer off the exit. And as soon as you start to veer off, all of a sudden you were good like five seconds ago. But as soon as your brain recognized, oh, we're getting off on the exit. It's time to go to the bathroom. Now it's like, holy crap, I'm going to wet my pants. And so the dogs get those same kinds of things. When they come out of their crate in the morning, they're going to need to go to the bathroom and they've been holding it good all night, but that's the trigger to, Oh, it's time to go to the bathroom. So you want to let them out and then take them right outside. But I also don't want the noise that I make in the morning is when I'm doing my little morning routine to mean the trigger. The trigger is when I come and let you out of your crate, then it's time to go outside and use the bathroom. And um, so, yeah. And I used to tell my dogs, I'll be back later when I would leave but I would always put them in their crates a bit before I was walking out the door. And when I would walk in, I'd just be like, Hey buddy, how's it going? But I would leave them in the crate and I just walk in and talk to them like nothing was going on. And the only time I would do anything different is if I heard them barking when I was outside 
And I would walk in and go, fooey that, knock it off. That's not acceptable. So if they're acting poorly in their crate, the response to that should be a negative reaction. No, that's not acceptable. Not, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Then you're only going to get more of that, right? If, if it's a negative reaction, they're going to go, oh, that didn't go the way I thought it was. Okay, maybe I'll do less of this. And, um, you know, there, there's techniques that build up to that, of course. But yes, that's very good points that you made. Um, anything else on the shot color ideas? Uh, just working it into a, a lifestyle and making sure that my foundation is rock solid with still understanding timing, still understanding praise and correction, um, and making sure that I'm consistent because inconsistent use of a prong is the same thing as inconsistent use of a shot collar. Um, yep. so just, it's nice because it's a, because it's a new tool, but it's a fresh look at our training program to ensure that our foundation is strong. That's all. Yep. Yep. Very good. And uh, so we have a couple questions here. Gingerbread Farms on Facebook said, what's the best e-collar, especially for multiple dogs? Does the one you have have multi-dog options where you can do multiple collars on the same remote? Yeah, I looked at a bunch online. There's a lot of new ones that um, are from China and they look like they're like touchscreen and maybe not super reliable. Um, but this one from Garmin has a little toggle switch on top. It's just black, blue, and red for three different collars. I only use yep. one. I only have one collar. Um, but everything's very stiff and tactile. The buttons are super easy to push and to, to locate. And then I, I now wear this with a little lanyard woven into the belt on my pants. So I don't yep. ever have to set this down anywhere. I don't have to hunt for it in my pocket. It's just super, super easy to carry that way. Uh, but this is Garmin. I think it's Tri-Sport. Sport Pro, yeah, Garmin I bet Sport that's the Pro. the. So they uh, they bought years ago Tritronics, so I bet they kind of, um, you know, have been developing that technology. And I've not used the Garmin specifically, but I'm I think I'm going to get one. I I want to get one with the uh, GPS tracker in it too. I have one that's just a GPS tracker, but apparently the newer ones are GPS tracker with an e collar integration into them. Um, I use the Dogtra. And I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily the best. It is a it's pretty simple, and uh, so that's the the um, base thing right there. But it'll do two collars, and um, and then you can there's just a little toggle switch, you know, up and down number one and number two, and uh, it has a vibrate. It does not have a beep though. So if you want all three options, the beep beep, the vibrate, and the e stem, then you're gonna need something like the um, the Garmin. Uh, the dog truck. Now there may be some versions of the dog truck that have uh, more options, but the, the key that I look at is if you're going to be out in the elements doing things, then you need to get one that's for hunting dogs. So it needs to be waterproof and it needs to have like a half mile range or something like that. Cause always cut whatever the range they tell you in half for real realistic use. If they say a half mile, you're going to get a, about so this 250 is this is one nice perk I didn't expect until I opened this up was nighttime. There's a LED lights you can yep. turn on for your dog. Super, yep. super Those helpful, especially because we are so very, it's really very dark, rural. You can look for where the lighted spot is. Yeah, I definitely want to check out the Garmin. Garmin makes some good equipment. I've always been impressed with it, all of the Garmin products I've gotten. So I would expect that they would be pretty good. Now, I will tell you, there's a pretty steep price change in most of these. Like, I don't know what the Garmin was specifically. Tritronics is about 200 to 250, I think. Um, 
for the the remote yeah, and two collars. Yeah. yeah, so you can get you know thirty, forty, fifty dollar e collars, but almost guaranteed they're not waterproof, and your battery life is probably going to be crappy, and your range is probably going to be crappy. So a lot of what you're actually getting the benefit from the e collar is is severely limited when you get the cheap e collars, and they're probably not going to last very long either. I've had these for six or seven years and they still work just fine. So um, I don't use them a lot, but whenever I need them, I plug them in and they work. Um, also, Pat, are you aware of the Victor recall? The Victor. Yeah. Food recall? Yeah. We, um, I, yeah, we messaged about that recently. Yeah. So if people aren't aware, like we, we really like the Victor brand of dog food. I've specifically used the high pro plus, um, model or if you will the the type of food that they make um they they had some kids apparently get into some dog food and get salmonella now for people freaking out about salmonella dogs are almost universally um not affected by salmonella like we feed our dogs raw chicken frequently and uh and there's obviously a decent risk of salmonella that's why we cook chicken before we eat it as humans and it simply doesn't affect dogs 99% of the time. So it wasn't a concern for the dogs. It was a concern for the people handling the food. So Victor voluntarily recalled all their food off the shelves. Uh, and so if you're feeding your dog, Victor, um, there's a shortage, right? Which is not good. So I am in currently in the process of looking uh, for something that's equal. Uh, we got diamond high energy. It's not terrible, but it's not anything on the Victor quality level. Um, so we're burning through the bags of that, that we bought. We, what was the brand that we just bought today? Do you remember what it's called? Yeah. So my wife's going to look that up. We found a new one that's supposed to be a little better. Um, that was in the general price range. Uh, basically we're just trying it out. So if you're, if you're needing to switch foods and you don't want to have the issues of dogs getting the runs and stuff like that, which can frequently happen when, when dogs switch foods, is I go, I, I get a can of pumpkin. You can get either big cans or, or regular size cans. This is just pureed pumpkin, no spices. This is not pumpkin pie mix that you put in a pumpkin pie. It's pureed pumpkin, right? Just plain pumpkin. And take a, a like a tablespoon and get a heaping scoop of the pumpkin and the tablespoon and put it in their food and mix it in. And that that's fiber. That's all it is. It's just adding fiber to their food. It will help them not be liquid runny during the transition. It's usually three to five days and then they're solid up new used to the new food. And uh, so if you're needing to transition them from one to the other and they're inside and them getting the diarrhea is not a good thing, which is most people, right? Then uh, I would have some cans of pumpkin on hand and you can add that in. But first mate. Okay. So there's a brand called first mate that we're going to give a try to. And um, they use rice and oatmeal instead of corn. So we'll see. I, I don't have, I, I haven't even gotten the bags in yet. We ordered 10 bags. Uh, so we're going to give those 10 bags a try. And if we like them, then we'll order more. If we don't, then we'll switch to something else. Um, but I, I still like Victor. I really respect that they did their recall. And it just sucks that there's going to be probably a month or two. They're, they're manufacturing right now but it takes a while to refill the supply lines and get everything back out there into the wild. And uh, so they're working on that. And as soon as I can get it again, I'll be right back to Victor High Pro Plus. 
Um, but I do respect that they they went ahead and did the the recall to try and make sure people weren't getting exposed to salmonella. Um, again, it's a dog food factory. They're working with various different you know animal meal. You know what the the chicken meal is? It's all the leftovers from processing the chickens. They get ground up together into dog food. And the same thing with beef and fish and whatever the meal is, is the guts and the the little bits of meat left on the bones and the bones and everything else. And then it's ground up and then it's mixed in with some kind of plant product to make it uh, a kibble, right? Because if you don't have plant product, you can't make raw meat into a kibble. And uh, so that's what it is. And it's not that big a deal. I'm not one of these people that's hugely opposed to corn. The benefit of corn for a dog is they don't digest it at all. It just passes right through their system and out the back end. Um, so the more corn you have in your food, the more poop your dog is going to have. The less corn there is, the less poop you will have. Um, so if, you, uh, if you're looking for things, I generally don't like things that, so a lot of your grain-free are going to be peas and sweet potatoes. That's the plant material they use. Both of those have been shown to be bad for dogs' hearts. I would rather do corn than sweet peas or sweet potatoes. Um, but we're going to try rice and, uh, and oatmeal. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, I've heard some pretty good stuff about that. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, so that's all of the comments there. Do you see any comments over on the Instagram side that we need to respond to? Okay. So we're about uh, 50 minutes, Pat. I wanted to run through some stuff that you're doing this year because Pat has two companies. He operates Canine Philosophy, which is a franchise of Fortress Canine. And he has two obedience trained dogs available for sale. You can see those on Instagram and TikTok at Canine Philosophy, the letter K, the number nine philosophy. And um, and then he also has Uncensored Tactical, which is his covert uh, entry school, um, primarily lock picking, but a bunch of other techniques as well. And uh, I pulled your schedule up from the TikTok post. Uh, so your oh. key gen, your key generation course that you're doing in January and February, is that something that the average person can attend or is that more of an advanced class? So that is open enrollment. Uh, the best use for that is going to be things like managing a locked and cage system. If you have a business or a homestead or a large property, or if you manage rental properties. So the making of and decoding of locks and keys, that's what that class is for. So if you want to use it for managing keyed access systems, that's great. Uh, if you want to use it for covert entry and you have no training whatsoever, you can still attend and you'll still learn all the content, but it's kind of like putting the carriage before the horse. Um, if you don't know how to pick a lock or slip a latch or get through a door or a combination or a keyway, if you don't know how to do that first, then creating a key, you're kind of hurting yourself. Um, Cause a lot of times having access to either side of the door during the key making process can really speed up the making of the key. Um, so it's, it'd be a little silly to do it backwards, but you certainly can. Yeah. There's, there's nothing stopping you. And that is January 27th and February 24th for the key generation course. I'm assuming that's on the compound there in Georgia. Uh, that one's going to be just down the road uh, at the shop where we, uh, okay. the company that I work with, um, they make lock picking tools on site, which is pretty cool. Awesome. And then what is the TLP foundations course, uh, March 11th and 12th? I'm that is going to be the, the two-day standard course. That's what you, yep, that's what you got. Uh, that's what we did with you guys down there at the kennel. Um, that is our flat. 
flagship course. It is a, it's not beginner as in foundational step one learning. It's foundation as in we give you all the tools that are a broad spectrum and you can take those tools and techniques and be operational day one. Uh, so that's what we mean by foundation, but it's, yeah, all of your non-destructive entry methods, and then you can just grow infinitely up from there. Yep. And where is, uh, it says at T's underscore USA, where's that located? What state? Uh, that one is going to be, um, so I don't restrict my training. I do open enrollment, but when I get hosted by other people to train, they restrict their training audience, however they choose. Um, and that facility okay. only accepts active duty, um, military or government, um, people. Uh, the ones that we're doing here at the compound, we have a, a challenge course, we have a, a heist operations course, and we have, I think, later in the year, a lockpicking course here. Um, yep. So it says, uh, so the challenge those course are going to be around the summer time. 13th and 14th. Uh, sorry, we have just a slight lag. Mm -hmm. So I apologize for talking over you sometimes. Um, the, the challenge at the compound, April 13th and 14th. Tell us about that. We haven't released uh, all of the info yet, and we probably won't until the students are here on site, but that's going to be a test against other competitors that want to bring their non-destructive entry um, into a, a competition environment. So we're going to have several different obstacles uh, that are currently being built and designed um, and some that are existing. So students can come and they can get a, we're going to have a leaderboard and a ranking system, and it's uh, almost definitely going to be an annual or biannual event. Uh, where we're going to have challengers come out and compete against themselves and one another for a score and a title and some prizes. Awesome. So that's people who already know how to do some of this stuff that want to come out and test their skills and compete against other people. Perfect. And then that's correct. Uh, the challenge the and the heist are both, um, they're not training courses, they're um, participation. Uh, one's an one is a challenge as in a competition. The other one is an experience course where you should be bringing your skills and your tools to the heist. Gotcha. And then, and the, so the heist is July 27th and 28th and, uh, and then May 4th and 5th, you have collab night up at the compound. Yes. That's with us and cloaked entry co will be here at the compound and we're going to be doing a collaboration course, which is probably going to be what we've done every time, which is two days of foundational training and two nights of nighttime operation taught by myself and Marcus and my over of cloaked entry co. Awesome. And then, yeah, the other tactical lock picking foundations course is June 22nd and 23rd. Uh, so that's anybody, any skill level just starting off can attend and, uh, and be popping locks. You usually say within the first 60 seconds, right? You usually pop your first lock in the that's first 60 correct. seconds. Yep. And, uh, and that was certainly our experience here. We had, I think just about everybody in class pop their first lock within a, the, the first minute of instruction. And uh, so it's pretty cool. And of course, some locks are a little more challenging than others, but um, you will learn the, the concepts immediately and be able to start putting those into uh, into action. And then you have another one of those in September. Uh, looks like the specific dates are to be determined. Um, and then you'll be at Self-Reliance Festival with me in October uh, 4th through the 7th. And, um, and then you have a private course in December. Is that something that people can get in on or is it something that's already locked out? So that's a reserve space. We were hoping um, first shot at that month was going to be uh, with me, you, um, me and you doing the full spectrum course that we talked about recently that we were going to collaborate yep. on. I was going to hope that we can do it in December here. Um, we just, we we're not set up for travel that hurts us um, when we have to travel. Um, but if we, if we can't make that collaboration course with you and me and our third party, um, 
if we can't make that happen, then I'll probably do a lock picking course here or some other type of experience course here. Okay, cool. So yeah, we have, um, and I know, I know your direct participation is still a little bit up in the air, um, in terms of whether you're going to be able to make it and, and whether, um, you know, I know it's a financial consideration thing. You got to be able to uh, not lose money on it, but, um, we have a, we're going to be doing an experience in Ohio in July. I think the dates, we'll, we'll be posting the, the confirmed date soon, but I think it's going to be the 6th through the 10th. It's a five-day uh, experience. The first three days are going to be um, uh, dog handling, covert entry, and some various tactical training, some sh- a little bit of shooting, some vehicle movement, and stuff like that. And, um, and so there's going to be like two-hour blocks for three days straight of just moving from one instructor to the next and, uh, and getting trained up on the skill sets that you're going to need for the scenario at the end. And then the fourth day, we're going to be doing the crawl and walk phase. So the army has this crawl, walk, run concept where you do it like slowly, like you're crawling and the instructors are still helping you and giving you guidance and all that kind of stuff. As you go through the scenario, then the walk phase is, you don't have live rounds or anything like that, but you're largely doing it on your own at a slightly reduced pace, maybe. And then the fifth day, assuming that everyone passes uh, safety on the, the crawl and the walk phases, there'll be a live fire uh, exercise. So you'll run the same scenario that you practiced the day before, but you'll be doing it live fire. Um, and the course will be set up so that there'll be certain targets that you'll engage. It's not going to be a force on force but it will be a targets appear and are need to be engaged. And, uh, and there's activity that has to happen. And then there's multiple things that have to be overcome during each mission. You'll have to gain entry to some place and then you'll have to drive a vehicle and then you'll have to provide security and do whatever the mission is. And uh, it will move one to the next to the next. It'll be about six missions, five to six missions in this scenario that you'll have to do. So uh, I do hope you're able to make it to that, but I know you'll have somebody that can come out and help with that, even if you can't be there. And then in December, I'm still fully on board with doing our event. We just got to get the details locked in. And uh, I think working with our third party, um, I think he's, he'll be interested in doing it there as well. We'll just have to finish working out the details and all on that. Um, but it's okay. So that's what we got going on. Lots of exciting stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about the dogs. Uh, Pat and I have another interview plan. We'll probably take a couple weeks in between and then jump back on together and, uh, and have another conversation. It's always awesome. I love the questions that Pat comes up with and he always has great, uh, perspectives and, and things that sometimes I've never thought of before. I'm like, wow, okay. I never thought about that. Uh, here's how I think we should do it. Let's try it. See if it works. And, uh, and Pat's doing a lot of awesome stuff there in Georgia. You can follow him on Instagram at Uncensored Tactical, U uh, N C E N S O R E D Tactical, T A C T I C A L. Uh, a little long, but it's easy to spell if you just look up the words if you don't know how to spell them. Uncensored Tactical, no space. Uh, he's also at Canine Philosophy, and both of those are on Instagram and TikTok. You have the, both those accounts on both uh, platforms. And uh, so both TikTok and Instagram, uh, you can find this stuff there. You can see the schedule that I was just looking at on his Uncensored Tactical page. Uh, And then you can always, of course, DM him with any questions that you have. We will be announcing uh, our July event, hopefully no later than February. Um, And it is, it's not open enrollment and it's not invite only, but it is select enrollment. 
So you kind of have to have somebody who can vouch for you that you have some some skill sets or you, you're going to have to provide some confirmation that you're not a beginner, right? That this event is not for beginner shooters who have never done anything tactical before. It's for people that have at least some training and want to learn how to integrate that training into some of these other skill sets. So the canine and the tactical entry, you can be a novice in, but the firearm stuff you have to have had some training in because you're going to be doing moving and shooting. And uh, if you have not had experience with firearms, that's not a good combo. So uh, there, there will be some limitation to this event, um, but it's, it's not a uh, invite only event. It, there will be some opportunity um, to open up. So uh, we'll be announcing more information about that. We're going to be getting lots of amazing video footage and stuff like that from it to share with you guys. And, um, and then of course we will be at mountain readiness uh, event in May. And I'll have more details for you on this next week. Cause I don't have it in front of me written down. Uh, there is a self-reliance festival in March, another one in October that Pat just mentioned. And uh, we'll also, I believe we're planning to be at prepper camp again this year. So, um, and, and Pat, I know is going to be joining us at least at self-reliance festival. Maybe we can con him into coming to some of the others with us too, but all right. Anything else to uh, throw in there, Pat? Nope. Just thrilled. Excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Definitely check him out at uncensored tactical and at canine philosophy on both Instagram and TikTok. I did put his website. He has an abbreviated website. It's utech.io. Uh, I did put that as a .com. And when I was writing this up before I confirmed with him, so I'll try and fix that once it posts, uh, go in and edit those comments, but it's utech.io or uncensoredtactical.com. All right, Pat, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoy you being here. And as always, everyone, until next time, remember to train hard and stay safe. Fortress Canine Podcast.